Hello, welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Brolins, I'm the Head of Content at B2B Marketing and I'm joined by Helen Kensett. Helen, welcome. Hello, it's great to be here. Thanks David, looking forward to a chat. Yeah, and looking forward to Ignite London as well, I hope. Very much so, I absolutely love it. Yeah. I love all your conferences. Fantastic. So what are you actually doing at Ignite? Share, you know, share with us. We are doing a session on the marketing pipeline. So we're looking at... um, leads essentially we're looking at the activity that marketers b2b marketers do that generates a volume of leads in the top of the funnel but then what actually happens to those leads mm-hmm. as they move down the funnel do they get stuck mm-hmm. um are they converting um so we look we're opening that massive subject out um and looking at the best practice you know what big B2B tech brands are doing to unlock that funnel? Are they achieving what they need to achieve in moving leads down that funnel to sales? Um, And what to do, looking at some best practice and what's going on in the market to actually overcome any obstacles in doing that effectively. Really important um, subject and really, you know, crucial time to discuss it really with the economy that we're in um, and the goals and and challenges that marketers have. Yeah, I mean... Why do you think leads are getting stuck? Gen- I mean, that's a big question, obviously, but what are some of the sort of classic things you see? Well, I think leads have always got stuck. Um, generating, you know, since the history of, of B2B marketing and, and generating interest in a brand at the top of the funnel, um, it's not easy to generate that volume, but it is something which marketers have always done pretty well. Um, you know, we've known... Um, and talked about for many, many years, forever, about how um, it's important to create content around really interesting, sexy, thought-provoking subjects. Um, And in doing that and creating kind of white papers and and webinars and so on, we can bring in those leads. Um, But actually what's harder um, and what marketers um, have struggled to do um, is to then um, move that process along because... Buyers, um, and certainly in the market at the moment, and what's discussed by Matthew Dixon and Ted McKenna in the Jolt Effect, is this there's this element of indecision. So whilst the customer might think, well, this is a fantastic piece of thought leadership, I'm going to follow this brand, I'm going to listen to the, the stories that they tell, um, actually holding up their hand um, is blocked by what we call buyer indecision. And historically, um, you know, this was maybe one in ten um, of our potential prospects were blocked by this indecision but now it's more like nine in ten and this indecision is caused by fear that you know okay I'm very interested in what this organization has to say but is it the right option do I do I really need this product Um, fear that they've not got enough of the right information or they've not got the right information Um, and fear that this is the biggest one fear that the um solution uh, whatever's being sold whatever's being positioned is not actually going to deliver um, on the outcome that is promised Um, so those are the kind of reasons why customers are and as i said it's always been around but it's just becoming more and more prevalent and it's a bit of a silent one really because it's not really easy to pinpoint that this is happening it's not like historically when You would sell on value. You would sell on being a better proposition than your competitor. Are you? Are you know? This is our. This is our proposition. This is why it's better than what you're currently using. Okay, great. I'll buy it. Um, 
now, um, even if you can prove that your product is better than the nearest competitor or better than what is out there on the market, and it will create tangible difference to what you're um, doing currently, you're still getting blocked by this indecision mm. because of the three reasons I mentioned. So yeah, so it's always been around. The pipeline's always been challenging. It's always been difficult to take mm. that sort of volume and actually get them to, to action, to take action and actually to sign the dotted line. Um, but it's getting worse because of the um, the nature of just a growing level of indecision amongst our customers. So what's causing that indecision then? Is it just the economic <clears throat> climate? Is it uh, new expectations from buyers, given all the kind of exposure they get to a great CX from the likes of Amazon and so on? What, what do you think is causing this this point at which buyers are there and just going, oh, I don't I know. I think I'm one out. of the, yeah, yeah, I think one of the absolute, well, certainly one of the biggest reasons is just an overwhelming choice. Mm. Um, and to actually change what is the status quo, what they're currently doing, um, is hard work. Um, there's so much choice, you know, if they want to solve a problem, increase efficiency, or they want to get a new X product or Y product, or they want to improve their marketing, or they want to improve their IT, or they want to improve their um, HR process or whatever. Um, there's so much blinding choice um, that it's very difficult to calibrate those options effectively. Mm. So one therefore stays relatively static. Um, and then those fears come in because, yeah. you know, if, you, if you've got so much choice, then you're really going to scrutinise um, what you do. Is that good then for the bigger companies? Because if you're saying, you know, it's, it's difficult to challenge that status quo, you can imagine that for a company that effectively is the status quo, like one of the big four in professional services, for instance, in many ways that they're, they're actually blessed because they're, they're dealing with these indecisive buyers and they just go oh i'll just play it safe i'll go with i'll go with a safe pair of hands it's like buying ibm prime example um yeah it's a good point well yes to some degree but of course these companies like ibm are, they might have a client in one capacity but they're desperately trying to get them across three or four different business units yeah so um and and part of that um their entire <coughs> targets are, are set on growing that customer so yes, good in good in some degree, good to some degree, but you know, challenging in other senses because really you want people to be making decisions quicker. Um, so yeah, it, it it does have some benefits for certain scenarios, um, but not for others because really you want people to just be confident to say yes to a scenario and not and not be blocked. Yeah. So big question then: How do you actually help buyers get over that indecisiveness? What can you do to convince them? Um, yeah, there are lots of different things that you can do. Um, in The Jolt Effect, Matthew and Ted talk about um, the first one being simplifying choice. Mm -hmm. So there is, like I said to you a minute ago, there is so much choice, so many different things that you can do, so many different options that you can take when you're buying um, or making a decision around what part of a product to buy or what bit of the product is right. So actually helping the customer. So they've come in at the top of the pipeline or, you know, you've been talking to them for a long time. They've come in through a brilliant marketing campaign. How can you then, as a B2B marketer, simplify that next step? Mm. You know, how can you make it easy for them to understand which part of that product is right for them? Um, which solution would help them achieve their goal? So using things like personalised content, um, enabling sales to be more consultative around narrowing that, set of options that they can provide to the customer so simplifying choice is absolutely number one 
Um, the second one is because of the overwhelmed nature of the customer, actually limiting the amount of content is a good thing to do. So not providing more and more and more content um, to fill you know, every stage of the funnel, but actually limiting what you share with that customer so that it's absolutely pertinent mm. to their specific needs. Um, and the one which um, salespeople have used, you know, effective salespeople have used uh, forever, is to limit risk. Um, and how do you limit risk when you're doing a marketing campaign and when you're enabling sales to some degree? Um, limiting risk is essentially making it easy. For example, making it easy for the customer to perhaps taste a little bit of what you're selling without having to sign up to a full mm. annual package. So as part of your campaign, um, as part of the um, conversation that you're having with that customer, how can you make it easy for them to start something with you, to try something with you, to perhaps talk them through a pilot and exactly what that might look like so that you're not making it, you're taking away that kind of huge yeah. um responsibility that that person has and that can be bought into a marketing campaign that doesn't have to be left to sales that can be part of the cta and the content that can be you know the entire cta yeah. you know what is the next step for me after somebody's read a report next step for you is to learn what a pilot would look like for you and mm. then have your revenue team ready to follow up um to go back with some very specific information about what that would look like and why that would be a sensible thing to try without too much wasted time um, and with a very measurable ROI on the end. So it's things like that. It's about simplifying the choice so it doesn't become overwhelming, limiting the volume of content and making the content that you do share more relevant. Um, and these are all things that marketing can do and, and help sales. And then really importantly um, is limiting the risk. So how can you um, when you're whatever you're selling, whether it be technology, consultancy, um, how can you make it feel um, like it's not too much time effort, but they're going to learn and see a tangible benefit yeah. um, from trying it? So as a <coughs> sales activation agency, what kind of content would you recommend that marketers actually put out there to really push people along the funnel? You know, that might, mm. is it a report? Does it have to be um, more interactive, for instance? I don't know. You, you tell me. Yeah, um, I think there are essentially three, um, three, we have lots of different content formats, but within each of those, there are kind of three prongs that we always adhere to when we're creating content campaigns that move people along the funnel. Um, and the biggest one is what we call Spark, the idea, whatever type of content that you create, um, whatever it is, whatever format it is, whether it's a piece of written content, an interactive piece of content like CogniClick creates, or um, a webinar or any type of content or an event, the idea is always going to be number one, always. Mm -hmm. How you package up your proposition, your particular campaign, your programme, um, around the right idea that plugs into the absolute hot topic of that moment. That's absolutely number one. Whatever, like, you know, CogniClick is a really fantastic platform, um, but even if the idea is wrong, yeah. you know, even then we can't guarantee. So the idea is absolutely number one. Um, is that going to prick up the ears of your buyer? Absolutely, one, number one. Um, the second one is user experience. So once you've got the idea, yes, 
Then formats like CogniClick that enable an interaction between the customer and that piece of content um, that enable a two-way dialogue that enable a personalized result um, really come into their own. Yeah. You know, you've got a really good idea and then you make it really easy for somebody to interact with that idea um, and you make it very personal, you make it very relevant. And then thirdly, value, that value exchange. So then, you know, you've got the person interacting with a piece of content, they're enjoying reading it, the idea is right, it's really easy for them to interact with. What's the value exchange? If you want them to convert on that piece of content, on that campaign, what is the very clear value exchange? Um, what are they getting next? Why are they giving you their email address? Why are they signing up to a free trial? What is it clearly that's going to make their life easier? What is that value exchange? Um, and incorporating that. So in all CogniClick campaigns, we make sure that the idea is right. We make sure that the format fits where the customer is in the funnel. So the user experience is great. And then we make sure that the value exchange is in there. So in... Um, what we add to our assessment formats, so assessment format is when you um, enable a individual to assess their current um, maturity in something or, or readiness at something. Um, within that, within that format, we add um, something we call the penultimate question. Okay. Um, so the person runs through, asks a number of questions about their current situation, very relevant to them questions. And then we'll add a question along with your result along with your score along with your report whatever it might be that they're getting um, as part of that piece of content would you like uh, for example a question like a 30 minute consultation with one of our HR experts to explain how this could impact your next six months mm. so what we find is that you know 65% plus of people actually say yes because we've made the value clear yeah. so bringing in that value exchange into our content as like standard, as like a standard practice, um, really increases that um, conversion and moves that person from being someone that's read your piece of content into somebody that actually has held up their hand um, and using technical terms become an SQL um, and has requested sales follow-up. Well, you're also, you're simplifying the choice again, aren't you? Because at the very end you're saying, yeah. you know, would you like this consultation? Yes or no? Yeah. No worries if you don't, absolutely yeah. fine. But if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you were to put that on your website and be like, are you interested in that you're asking the person to go out of their way and start kind of weighing up alternatives and but you're just making it a yes, no, which is a much easier, faster way of doing it, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of different methodologies we use, but that's one of the most effective. Um, one of our big clients is Autodesk, and we've put that as standard in almost all of their content campaigns now. So that... Um, Anybody that runs through a piece of content um, created um, by us for Autodesk or in partnership with Autodesk um, has that incorporated in their campaign. Mm. So there's no chance that you know somebody can run through um, and not very clearly see um, what they could get to the next stage. You're making it really easy for somebody to say yes because people yeah. will you know forget things within seconds after clicking off a piece of content so you've really got to make it work as hard as it possibly can yeah of course yeah i, I guess my only observation is <clears throat> this, this obviously all sounds great but it all sounds that it's very kind of um low in the funnel which i you might mm. disagree um but can you apply that same methodology to the top of the funnel you know you're just talking about awareness yeah absolutely um, it's a really good point because there are different stages in the funnel and we do have different formats at mm. CogniClick that work at different stages. But there really is no reason why you can't incorporate this methodology at the top of the funnel. Um, if you're doing, um, yeah, for example, 
you could have separate several stages of content or you could have a piece of content that or a you know, a, a webinar or something that drives somebody right the way down the bottom, yeah. right the way down. So, for example, you could have um, a webinar at the top of the funnel that generates volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you are mindful of the pipeline as a marketeer, you'd then go, OK, well, now we've got that volume. What value could we offer? Could we create an assessment where we get them, the ones that have come through on that lovely subject, they're obviously interested in our hot topic, to actually assess their maturity on that subject? Or um, could we do a tool that perhaps offers them a free consultation and maybe asks them three questions and then says, you know, answer three questions and we'll create a consultation that works for your organisation. So there are ways that you can do a secondary step that is sent to those customers that have come through a webinar top of the funnel um, and then moves them down the funnel um, by thinking by thinking of content at, at, for different stages, or you can create a content campaign that brings them right down the funnel. There's absolutely no reason why you can't offer um, you can't you know in a webinar, for example, ha- put up a link that's offering everybody in the webinar at the end an opportunity to get a, a free trial or a, a join a workshop or join the next session or you know ask the question essentially when it doesn't matter if it's a piece of content that's designed for the top and awareness still ask the question and you might get 50 60 70 percent of people saying yes you might get 10 10 percent but it's much more than none if you don't ask the question at all so yes it's a good point that we do very clearly have different types of content for different stages of the funnel but there's no reason why you can't bring in that same kind of thinking um, into campaigns that are launched at the top um, to save time. At the very beginning of this um, episode, we spoke. Well, you spoke about the kind of changing <clears throat> buyer behaviour and how that's affecting how we need to sell and, and so on. I, I guess another question related to that: Do people really move that linearly? Like, I mean, just thinking about myself, mm. I, I don't think I, I, I think I rarely fit into a marketer's funnel when I'm purchasing things. Or that maybe that's just ego. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I, I don't sit there and go, "Oh, I'm aware of the brand. I'm now considering." And now I'm ready to purchase. And now I'm ready to mm. advocate. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't really work that way. It feels much more kind of all over the place. I'm jumping from one part of the funnel to the next, mm. and I'm back up a level. Mm. Is that something you also see? And does that impact everything we've been speaking about today? Yeah, um, of course, absolutely. And that's why there's always stats, you know, numbers mm. involved, and you always see that. You're never going to convert 100% of people on a specific campaign or on a specific funnel program that you've created. Of course, some people will just consider and then they'll pop up six months, 12 months later. We've all mm. certainly, if you've ever done a sales job, we are all very aware of where on earth did they come from? I haven't spoken to them for <laughs> a year, 18 months. Um, but um, by making it easy, the ones that are ready at that moment will move down the funnel quicker. So, of course, it's not a linear process for everybody. Absolutely. Um, but there is a certain proportion of people that do just need, to, you know, that are open um, and willing to be educated and moved forward. And I have a very burning need and a burning problem um, and will move down. And you're going to increase more of those um, by essentially thinking about the type of content that you're creating um, at different stages of the funnel. Um, and then, of course, there'll be other ones that will come back six months later and so on um, and will be kept alive and kept close in 
with sort of more brand building stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're doing a campaign and you have a target to hit, as lots of marketing people do, um, and you want to generate as many customers for leads, many leads for sales as you could possibly get, then um, you need to make that campaign work as absolutely as hard as it can. So, yes, they'll all be the, they'll be the ones that are hovering around and won't come in immediately. But the campaign will work absolutely as hard as it possibly can to bring in the ones that are thinking about that. Yeah, of course. Does that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I know you've come from you know a sales background historically. Yeah. Um, speaking, you know, as the salesperson, um, how do you think things have changed in the last sort of couple of years? I mean, buyer behaviour's changed, as you've pointed out. Are you personally experiencing a difference in how you actually communicate with buyers, or are we, is it only in how they research online? Um, yes. I mean, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's definitely more um, fear. Mm. Um, you'd see one in ten of your opportunities um, disappearing and, and being fearful, whereas you know, whereas now it's seven in ten. Um, it's a lot. So you're dealing with a lot more of that. The sell is definitely harder definitely harder but it's a nice challenge you know it's a challenge that's worth that's worth tackling um what else have i seen well perhaps i can i can pose a follow-up question if that's all right yeah you say selling is harder is that do you think related to the, the industry you're in i.e kind of technology marketing agency sort of space where there's a huge amount of competition you know just look at the scott brinker infographic that everyone is everyone is very aware of or do you think it's selling is harder for literally everyone in B2B? Yeah, I think there is a tech overload scenario mm. going on where self-serve tech and tech that was very sort of heavily focused on you developing the skill yourself to do it yeah. is harder to sell. There is definitely a trend in that. And if whatever your technology is, even if it ends up being very self-serve and is integrated into your business and your, your um, you know, the client's, existing um team actually end up using it at that beginning stage mm. you need to position it or it helps to position it as being you know a supported service so definitely seeing that whereas a couple of years ago you know self-serve tech we need that tech we absolutely need that tech we just got to get it on who cares if we use it yeah. was more of the approach who cares if we use it we're <laughs> buying it whereas now it's very much, oh my gosh, we absolutely need to prove we're going to use it. Yeah. And how do we use it? And I don't really want to learn how to use it. <laughs> so positioning around supporting, onboarding, being that kind of alongside partner, mm. even even if your consultancy isn't that um, a massive part of what you actually offer, by providing that and communicating that, you're going to get a far greater response than you would have done a few years ago. So that's a big trend that I'm seeing. How yeah. you, you know, even some of my largest, some of our largest technology clients, um, even they need to start holding the hand of the, or communicating that they will hold the hand of the client as part of the process yeah. because we're all a little bit overwhelmed by um, taking on new bits of technology, le learning new bits of technology and getting buy-in with teams that are all exhausted with new bits of technology. So that hand-holding, that kind of managed service even if you don't offer that in the long term certainly adding it at the beginning is something which um is making the sale easier and if you don't 
add it, you know, that's making the sale harder. Unless you're a very low value product. But but even then, I mean, even even free is difficult if the product feels like it might be cumbersome. Yeah. I guess as well, if you, um, you're you doing that kind of hand-holding, as you say, yeah. you have an opportunity to actually show, prove the value of your product. Whereas quite often, I mean, I've done it myself, you know, I've paid for a, a product online and then I've, I've not really bothered to learn how to use it properly. Yeah. And then I don't really get much value from it and then I scrap it. Whereas yeah. actually, if I had someone to say, this, what, what are you trying to achieve in the first place? Oh, I'm trying to achieve X, Y, and Z. And then they show me how to do that using the tool. Yeah. Everyone is going to have a better experience. Yeah. Um, and is that kind of where you're coming from? When yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that would be a brilliant sell, wouldn't it? You were buying a piece of technology and as part of the onboarding process, it was it asked you, or part of the sales process, it asked you, what's your key use case? Mm. Um, the, you know, you're reading a bit of content and then you said, yeah. You know, tell us your key use case and we'll come back to you and show you with a mock-up specifically for your company and talk to you how to use it. You know, that is just a no-brainer valuable. Yeah. And it's much more likely to get you to, you know, say, yeah, let's go for this. So it's, you know, it's harder work for organisations to think through how to remove that fear. But actually, if you do it, then you're going to see much greater success. And, you know, increasingly keeping and growing existing customers and keeping them using the product is mm. as important to marketing as growing new customers. And it's very easy to communicate with and get existing customers to tell you much more than prospects will. So ask them if they want, if they're not using it, or you just want to make sure that perhaps you're upselling them something, ask them, um, create campaigns that ask them and then provide them with easy ways to get value from the team yeah. um, by using you know, the right type of content to do that yeah and and you know that that's the way to do it really it's about um that's what we're seeing that's what the best salespeople have always done taking away that friction but actually we need to bring it into our marketing now because the leads aren't even getting to sales sometimes before they've dropped off so we need to employ that kind of mindset into our marketing yeah absolutely okay great so um ai how yeah. are you seeing that that is impacting b2b marketing because it's obviously the topic of the moment yes it is. And it's really exciting. It's really interesting and really exciting. It's been around, um, you know, as part of products um, for lots of different products from search to um, content have been using AI, um, generative AI for a long time, but obviously now it's on everybody's agenda, certainly with chat GBT, which has put it on everybody's desktop and everybody um, is having a play with it. Um, the three ways um, that it's really effective, what I can see um, in terms of using something like ChatGPT um, as a content partner um, are for research. So if you are researching um, your clients, your prospects and industry, um, how you actually uh, use it for that, if you prompt it correctly, not just tell me about Mars, you know, <laughs> or whatever, but tell me about Mars in comparison to Nestle. Tell me about Mars and specifically why this proposition would be a good idea. Tell me about Mars and three most senior executives. Tell me, you know, if you're, it's, it's like asking an expert and you didn't just you wouldn't just say to another human, would you? Tell me about Mars. You, Other chocolate bars are available. <laughs> you'd probe and probe and probe. So, and the, the better you probe, 
the better it is at research. Mm. Um, secondly, um, to improve existing content. So if you've written an email or you've written a white paper uh, or you've written a piece of or you've written a headline or you've written a social media post, actually by you've started it, so you've you know it's a really good prompt. Um, and then you say to it, write this, but make it a little bit, maybe you're having a tiring afternoon or something, tired or whatever, or you've had to write a load of copy that afternoon, you know, and you're not quite sure whether the sentiment is right, you're not quite sure whether the tone is right. So rewrite this for me um, and make it a little bit more corporate. Mm. Or rewrite this for me and make it funnier. Or rewrite this for me and make it a little bit more friendly or chatty. And that's a really good way to use it. Um, the third way is actually to create content for you from scratch. That's more challenging um, because you're not giving it an enormous amount of prompt there, are you? You're, you're essentially innate, you're wanting it to come up with potentially a creative idea um, and to actually get the real context on what you're doing. You're not, you know, unlike when you're giving it something you've already written, you're giving it that really good detailed information. Um, so creating stuff from scratch is where it ch it's more challenging, but also where lots of business ideas are going to come. So organisations, uh, certainly with something like ChatGPT and generative AI, um, organisations that will prompt for you around topics that are related and then create you content easily um, by having done most of the prompting and most of the context building within ChatGPT is going to be a massive opportunity for businesses out there um, at CogniClick, um, one of our products um, is called Industry Insight, and it's like a live survey and it enables a peer comparison of an industry. Really compelling um, because kind of surveys people are a bit tired of. You know, do I really want to answer these fifty questions and not really know how I compare, or what, will I ever get a report out of this? Um, whereas with our tool, it enables this peer comparison live. Um, but now we've incorporated um, generative AI into the report. So our platform spits out a personalised report for everybody that took part. And now it's it's written by AI. Um, and it's written based on that data that's yeah. been created. So it's a really effective tool um, if you prompt it properly, whether that be you know by using your technology or you, you, you use it on your desktop as a marketeer. If you prompt it well, research improve what you're currently doing, check what you're currently doing. Um, and in terms of creating from scratch, well, if you prompt it right, I'm sure it will come up with something. But there will be lots of tools that you'll see on the market that will um, have done that prompting for you and then you'll be able to make um, content much easier. I think I'm not afraid of it taking over marketing. Um, it's like having, a you know, another member of the team. It's like having a really good um, advisor um, that doesn't get it right every time. Then who gets it right every time? But if you ask the right questions of people, like of ChatGPT, then it will respond in its best possible way. And, and several times um, out of ten, it will come back with an answer that um, would be better than what you could think yeah. of. Yeah. And, and quicker. Yeah. Well, I suppose as well. I mean, you're. I mean, you, you said earlier that you know it's it's a bit more complicated when you're creating content from scratch with ChatGPT, unless you've got the right prompts. Yes. But in CogniClick's case, that's obviously fine because you're collecting all that data, which yeah. are, I imagine, basically become the prompts, right? Precisely. Yeah. So our data from the Industry Insight format, um, you know, you might have 10 data points on procurement in the HR industry, for example, uh, which our platform automatically will, um, will create from your audiences. Um, 
and you're engaging the person on that level by allowing them to compare to their peers. Um, and then you're prompting um, the, the AI to sort of say, well, these are the stats. Write me an introduction on this, write me a conclusion on this, and tell me some information around those stats. Yeah. So really effective use, really powerful format. Um, and we're very excited about that one. Very excited. Yeah, I don't think it's going to take jobs. I think it's just going to make us more efficient. I think it's going to give us more time to think. Um, and I think it will, we'll see some very good marketing. I mean, it's going to raise the stakes in marketing, um, definitely. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Helen, thank you for joining me. Um, and thank you to Terminal Studios for hosting this episode, as per usual. Um, and we shall see you at Ignite London. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, looking forward to it. See you then. Lovely. Bye. Bye-bye.